In the northern kingdom, Israel, the people continued to turn their backs on God. So God allowed them to be taken prisoner by the nearby country of Assyria. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom, Judah, there was a new king named Hezekiah, who was only 25 years old. Hezekiah followed God's ways, removing the idols to false gods. God helped him be successful in all he did. The king of Assyria, who had recently taken over Israel, sent one of his commanders to threaten Hezekiah, telling him that God would not protect Judah from Assyria's attack. So Hezekiah went to a prophet named Isaiah for help. Isaiah was a man who God had spoken through many times. Isaiah assured Hezekiah that God would help them defeat the Assyrians. Late that night, the angel of the Lord went through the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 people. The next morning, the remaining Assyrians retreated, terrified. Soon after, Isaiah reminded the Israelites that they were to follow God in all they did. But the people turned away from God again and again, and things continued to get worse for them as a nation. Despite their disobedience, God delivered a promise through Isaiah that a new king and a new kingdom was coming for the Israelites. Isaiah spoke of a man who would one day be rejected by those around him and suffer a terrible death. But somehow, through his death, this man would bring peace and a kingdom that would never end. So Andre Francois Raffray was a, reti a retired lawyer in France. We've got too many French things going on there. Um, he was a retire retired lawyer in France, and he made this what was thought to be a pretty sound investment. For a $550 a month annuity, he bought the rights to move into an apartment when the current resident passed away and died. And so apparently this was a really important piece of property, and he wanted to get into this apartment, and so he sets up what is a pretty good deal, and, and Jean Clement is the, is the resident of this apartment, and she was 90 years old at the time, so, so really odds are looking pretty good that he's going to get into this apartment pretty soon. Um, the problem is that she didn't die anytime soon, and 30 years later, he is still paying this annuity, and he passes away before she does. Here's her picture on her 121st birthday. Um, she lived to be 122, the oldest recorded living person in history. And so he didn't get a very good deal on that apartment investment, I think he was very aware, like some of us need to be reminded, that you can't really predict the future, right? That sometimes life gets in the way, circumstances change, and, and what you thought would be a pretty good investment, what you thought would be a pretty good plan, does not pan out the way you thought it would. So here he is um, on his deathbed receiving yearly birthday cards from her saying, sorry, I'm still alive. <laughs> so we are in chapter 16 of the story. 
we're in the prophets here. We're seeing the story of Hezekiah, of Isaiah. We've got the kingdoms that have split. We've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And we've got these kings mostly who are bad, some who are good. Hezekiah is one of those that is doing well. And so hopefully you're reading along in chapter 16 of the story. If you're visiting with us, we'd love for you to pick up a copy of the story on your way out in the foyer, and you can jump in and join with us in the reading plan. Um, but today we're going to focus in on a, a specific story, a specific character. We're going to focus in on Isaiah. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. That's page 224 of the story. Isaiah chapter 6. So remember, the kingdoms have, have split in two, and here is Isaiah the prophet. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying." We're not going to try to figure out what that means. Um, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. So we've got this incredible imagery here. Uh, lots we can, we can dive into here with what's going on with this vision that Isaiah has of, of the king on his throne. But the story starts off with this important phrase. It's in the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died. So we, we have here a, a setting for a story. This is a major transitional time because we have the king who is now dead. And so anxiety is high, stress is high among the people because it is a time where, where the rule is being handed off from one to the next. And Uzziah was a pretty popular king. He did pretty well. He's, he's listed as one of the good kings, one of the few good kings of Judah. He had a life that was productive. He reigned for 52 years, which is, is a good chunk of time. He was crowned when he was 16 years old. And so we have this guy starting at a very young age, and he has a reign that is marked with blessings, marked with greatness, with splendor. Things are going well for him. Not since Solomon had they had a king that was as successful as Uzziah was. And under his leadership, there was great prosperity. There was an increase in build, the building of cities and building projects. They refurbished old cities. They created hundreds of thousands of jobs. So there was this prosperity, but there was also this great security as well because the armies grew under Uzziah's reign and they had great military strength. And they were able to defend themselves against the growing enemies that were around them. 
And so under Uzziah, there is this great sense of security. And now we have this time where Uzziah is gone. In 2 Chronicles 26, it says that he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him to, he- to fear God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So Uzziah was one that was seeking the Lord, and he's incredibly successful because of it. But similar to Solomon, things don't end as well for Uzziah. A couple of verses later, as it describes Uzziah, it says, but after Uzziah became powerful, after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. How many times do we see that story repeated over and over? He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And so here we have the successful king. He's following the will of God, but his pride gets in the way. Pride gets in the way, and he thinks he's big enough and strong enough to do what he wants. And so he goes into the temple, and he does something that is only to be done by priests, and he burns this incense on the altar of incense. And God is not pleased, to say the least. And so God strikes him with leprosy, which he has to endure for the rest of his life. And so a once powerful king is now weakened by a disease where he is isolated from all that he's built. He's isolated from his temple. He is isolated from his palace. And in the final years of his life, he has to slowly die this painful death as he sees the Assyrian army building up and building up on their back step. And so the, the, kingdom of Israel, or the kingdom of Assyria is rising in power. Uzziah is declining in health, and he dies in 740 B.C. And it is in this context that Isaiah has this image. He has this vision of God on the throne. And so I want you to think about what transitions do you find yourself in? What season of transition do you have? Maybe it's a season spiritually or occupationally, a a transition relationally or physically or financially. What transition do you see yourself in? We all find ourselves in states of transition all the time, some more significant than others, right? But we can probably, most most of us, see ourselves in some sort of state of transition, And this is a vision to pay attention to because this is the context in which this vision is happening. It's in a time of transition. So if you're in a time of transition, you often need something to hold on to because things are not going the way you thought they were going to go. And the things are falling out from underneath you and you need something to grab onto. You need something to hold on to. And so here's what Isaiah saw in this vision. The first thing he saw is a God, that God is over it all. God is over it all. In, in the very first verse, it says, In the year that, the, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So in a time of uncertainty, we don't know what's happening with the kingdom. Uzziah is dead. We don't know what to make of things. We need something to hold on to. And the first thing that Isaiah sees in this vision is God seated on a throne. Now, we're not used to seeing our powerful politicians on thrones, right? They usually have microphones and TV cameras. 
And so the, this imagery of what a throne means is something that kind of can be lost on us. But in Isaiah's day, the, the throne signified power. And the bigger the throne and the higher the throne, the more important you were. And so here we have God on the throne that is high and exalted. This is the, the highest throne. And this is where God sits. God is high and exalted. And then it says his robe fills the temple. And so then a king was measured by the length of his, the train of his robe. So the longer the train, the more powerful you are, I guess, because you dress well. I'm not sure what's going on there. But the longer the robe, the more powerful you are. And so God is seated on this throne that is exalted up on high, and his train of his robe is so long that it fills the entire temple, and it's built up on top of each other. It's just piled up. And so you walk into this temple, and here's this enormous throne, and the room is just full of rich fabric, because that's the train of his robe. And this is the God who is there. And it's important to notice that, that God is not pacing back and forth. He is not stressed out. He's not moving around. He is seated. And so in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of transition, in the midst of that fear, it is made very clear that God is still on his throne. It doesn't matter what's going on down there in the lower story, at the upper story, God is on his throne. It doesn't matter that, Isaiah, or that Uzziah is dead, God is still on his throne. It does not matter that, that Uzziah has left the throne and we don't know what's coming next. God is still on his throne. And so what is your Uzziah? What is your Uzziah, this thing of transition, this thing of uncertainty? Because whatever that Uzziah is for you, God is still on the throne. And he is sitting there, calm, confident, and in control. And so God wants Isaiah to get this picture that God is over all. He is over all. The second image that, that Isaiah here is that God is in the middle of it all. And so we have this incredible imagery of these, of these seraphs that are these angelic beings with six wings that are, are flying around. I think they're probably more terrifying than cute. And they're flying around and they're saying this over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's not just in the throne room. It's not just in the temple. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so the image to, to Isaiah here is very clear that God is not just up, up on high, but God is in it all. That in the midst of this transition, in the midst of this uncertainty, God is in it. God is there somewhere. Uzziah died, Assyria is knocking on the back door, but the whole earth is full of his glory. Things may not be looking good for you in the lower story, but that doesn't mean that God isn't working in the midst of it. It doesn't mean that his glory is not there. No matter how out of control things feel, no matter how stressful they might be, how dark it might appear, the whole earth is full of his glory. In 1937, Walt Disney released 
the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, this first full-length featured film that was animated. And in this, there was this incredible process that required over a million individually drawn graphics. And this artwork, one million of them, would flash by at one twenty-fourth of a second at a time. And each of these images, piled on top of each other, made the movie that we know as Snow White. And so you can sit in a theater and watch this movie and see the moving characters. And you see the action happening on the screen, and you don't realize the amount of work that went into creating it. When you watch it at regular speed, you see the images. And so our lives in, the, in this world are a lot like that. We have no idea how much God is working behind the scenes. He's creating each one of these one million images to make up this story. And so he is present in each and every one of those. But in the midst of this incredible encounter, Isaiah is not thinking about what we would think he's thinking about. He's not thinking, whoa, that's pretty cool. Those things have six wings. He's thinking something very different. And this is the third thing that Isaiah sees, is his sinfulness receives God's gracious cleansing. His sinfulness receives the cleansing. Isaiah cries out, Woe to me! I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so this is an incredible wake-up call for Isaiah. He is in the presence of the Holy God. And not only are the doorposts of this temple trembling, but Isaiah is trembling himself. Because he realizes how inadequate he is, he realizes how sinful he is in the presence of this God who is on this highly exalted throne. And he sees his sinfulness, and he sees the sinfulness of his people. And this is a bizarre scene, because now we have Isaiah who is in this sinful state, and this seraph comes out, with this hot coal on tongs out of a fire and comes up to Isaiah. And how does Isaiah respond? Freaking out and running, maybe? I don't know. It's like this is this six-winged creature coming at me with a burning hot coal. And the seraph says this, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so we have Isaiah who is in this state of realizing how sinful he is and how sinful his people are. And his sin is being atoned for. Atone means to cover. It is being covered. Your sins have been covered by this. And so there's a couple observations here. One, the coal comes from the altar. The altar is where the blood is shed for the sacrifices. It's from that altar that we are atoned. God isn't wanting Isaiah to be at a distance. He's wanting him to be, to come near. And God has his sins covered. 
He takes this coal from the altar and he atones for this sin. And the second interesting thing here is Isaiah did not ask to be burned on the lips. Right? He's not saying, please forgive me. He's not saying, please cleanse me. Isaiah realizes his sinfulness and God takes the initiative to bring this atonement to him. And in that moment, Isaiah understands. He understands he is more sinful than he had ever realized. And the grace of God comes and loves on him and cares for him more than he could have ever imagined. And it was soon after this that Isaiah would be preaching about a time when such a coal would be available to all. He later talks about the days when the fire of God would fall on his suffering servants, the Messiah, for the sins of all, and that by such a fire, we could be healed. And so Isaiah sees this image, and nothing about Isaiah's circumstances change. The fact that Uzziah is dead does not change. The fact that Assyria is is rising in power does not change. But verse 8 says this, it's Isaiah who has changed in this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. God doesn't call Isaiah in particular. He makes this all-call announcement that says, Who will I send? Who can I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah volunteers for this. He says, Here I am. I'll do it. You can send me. And what does Isaiah not know? He doesn't know the job description. He has not been told what he's being sent to. God first says, who am I going to send? Who will go for me? Isaiah volunteers and says, I will do it. I don't know what the job is. I don't know what the, dis- the job description is. I don't know what the trials will be. I don't know what the challenge will be, but I will go and do it. And why does Isaiah do this? Because the king on the throne asked him to. And so God is rightfully in his place on the throne, and Isaiah recognizes him as king, and he will be obedient to the king regardless of knowing what the answers are, regardless of knowing what the future is. He is going to follow the king. And so what, did God, so, so what is God doing in the midst of all of this? What is he doing in the midst of us, and how can we serve him? He's, he's doing something, and Isaiah says, I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to be a part of what God is already doing. I'm going to serve him. We ask this question every week, God, what are you saying to us? God, what are you saying to us? Because God is up to something. God is doing something in our midst. He's doing something in this congregation. He's doing something in this city. And he says, whom will I send? Who will join me in this? You don't know all the answers. You don't know what the future is going to be, but will you join me in this mission? And Isaiah says, yes. Here I am. Send me. And this provides such a wake-up call for Isaiah. He is shaken by this. And he is moved by this. And this changes his trajectory he's in the presence 
of a holy God. And he sees himself and how inadequate he is as a sinner. And so when we find ourselves in this situation, we do what Isaiah does. And here, here are a few things that he does. First, we lift him up. We realize our sinfulness. We realize our inadequacies and we lift God up. Notice what the angels were perpetually saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. There was worship going on. In the midst of our sinfulness, in the, in, in the midst of our weaknesses and our, and our uncertainties, we worship. Not because we feel like it, not because we get something out of it, not because it makes us comfortable or uncomfortable. We worship because God is on his throne. And in the midst of those things, we, we worship him. In 1982, the University of Wisconsin was having a pretty bad football year, and they were hosting Michigan State. And so they were getting blown out 55 to 10 in this game, and the oddest thing would happen. The fans would start cheering at the most inappropriate times of the game. And so they are losing this game, and at random times, there would be these roars of cheers, this outbreak of excitement among the fans. And what was going on here is 50 miles away in Milwaukee, the Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals for the sixth game of the World Series. And everybody at the football game is listening on their radios to the World Series. And so something good would happen in a game 50 miles away and the, the, the cheers would break out. And we're a little bit like that. We are tuned into a radio program. We are tuned into a frequency that everybody else doesn't necessarily see. And so we look at the lower story around us. We, we look at the brokenness of the world around us. We look at, at the hurt and the loss and, and, and the pain that is around us. And we celebrate. And we cheer. We worship. Because we're tuned in to a frequency with God. We're celebrating the God who is on the throne regardless of the situations that we find ourselves in. The second thing to do is to fess up. The time for confession where, where I am a sinner. I see who God is. I see his perfection. I worship him for that. And I admit that I am a sinner in that. No one who truly sees who God is and is in his presence walks up and presents his resume of righteousness. We don't walk up and say, look at all the good things I've done because that God is way too perfect, way too exalted for us to walk in and arrogantly say, look at all the things that I've done right. No, that exposes all the things that we have done wrong. In the presence of a holy God, we know that we are not adequate. And the third thing is that we, we step up. Author um, Tim Keller talks about a story where he was going to a camp as, as a kid, and this was really a transitional time for him where his faith really changed. 
And there was a, a, a guest speaker at the camp that was talking about astronomy and, and talking about just the size of the known universe. There's 92 million miles between the earth and the sun. And so if we reduced, this is, this is what she said, if that was reduced to the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And that's how big the galaxy is. And yet the galaxy is nothing but a speck of dust virtually in the whole universe. The Bible says that God holds this universe together with simply a word. And so something that big is held together by God's hands. And so she asked this question, is this the kind of person you have asked into your life to be your assistant? The God who can hold that universe in his hands, are you asking that God to be your assistant? Or are you putting that God on the throne to be your king? Two very different ways to approach God. And so how do we approach God? Do we approach him as one who is king of the universe, or do we approach him as one who is just our assistant? Sometimes we need to experience things like Isaiah experiences things, and we need to be shooken up. We, we need this, this call to, to open up our eyes to see how big God really is, how incredible he is, how perfect he is, and the place that we have in that. And what is so incredible is even in the midst of that, God cares enough for each and every one of us, that this big God, this, this king of the universe, cares and comes down to each and every one of us. When we become out of touch with the reality of God and the size of God, we're out of touch with reality itself. He is far more than a backup. He's far more than an assistant he is over it all, and he is in the middle of it all. And that should adjust the way we live our lives. And so I want us to close this morning asking you a question. Who or what is your Uzziah these days? What is that disappointment? What is that transition? What is that loss? What is that hurt? What is that uncertainty? Who's your Uzziah? And then also, another question is, who is your Assyria? What is that growing threat? What is that distraction? What is that fear? Is there something that's threatening you? Something that you're facing, that's on the horizon that you're having to deal with? And so, who is your Uzziah? Who is your Assyria? And we're going to spend some time in, in our prayer time this morning in a little bit of an interactive time. And we, we have butcher paper up here on the stage with some markers. And if you can, I want you to come up and, and write down, as, as we're singing this song, and during our prayer time, I want you to come write down, what is that Uzziah? What is that 
Assyria. Later on in, in the story, we see Hezekiah who receives this threatening letter from Assyria. He receives this letter that, that says, I'm going to destroy you. There's a lot more words than that. But, but it was a bad letter, and, and, and he takes this letter, and he goes to the temple of God, and he lays this letter before God and says, God, what are you going to do about this? And so as, as we reflect this morning, who is that Uzziah? Who is the Assyria? We're going to come and we're going to lay that before God. We're going to say, God, you're going to deal with this. This is, this is yours. You are king of the universe. You are on this throne, highly exalted. You are holy, and we lay this before you. And so this is going to be our act of prayer this morning, of just writing down a word or a phrase or a sentence things that you want to lay before God for him. Let's be standing. So feel free to move, move around during this song. Um, write, ha, take an opportunity to write down your Uzziah, your Assyria. We're going to lay it, before, lay it before God. If you need to pray with someone, if you need to um, pray with one of the shepherds, they'll be down front or in the back. You can pray with them as well. You can pray among each other. Share, share with somebody else that you're close to what it is that you wrote down so they can be praying for that as well. We laid these things before God, but we, together we want to be raising these up to God as well. God, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you for being a holy God. And God, I pray that at this time we will, we will see these things that are in our lives and we will lay them down before you that we will surrender these to you. God, we know that you hold the universe in your hand, and so these are problems that you can take care of in a quick and easy way. And so God, as, as, we, as we go through and face the day-to-day -day struggles, as we go through and, and see the uncertainties, we see the transitions, God, help us to remember the reality of who you are in your greatness and your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.